Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In a parallel present, delivery man Ray Tenselli, played by Dean Imperial, is struggling to support himself and his ailing younger brother. After a series of two-bit hustles and unsuccessful swindles, Ray takes a job in a strange new realm of the gig economy, trekking deep into the forest, pulling cable over miles of terrain to connect a large metal cube that links together the new quantum trading market. It's as much fun as it sounds, truly. This is just a wild film in so many ways. Very well done. The film is called Lapsus, and we're joined today by the director, writer, editor, and composer. Congrats. And that would be Noah Hutton. Noah, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for, uh, for those kind words, Mike, and, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm honored to have you as well. It's uh, This is one of those films where I... Uh, this is the first film I've seen of yours, and I just feel like the you have the world ahead of you in terms of filmmaking. I know this was made for no money, right? I just have the sense that this was really a kind of a DIY almost level, but it but at the same time, it doesn't matter because it's all in the story. It's all about the story and the humanity interactions of these people who are find themselves in, to my mind, the a new world order of sorts. One that doesn't make a lot of sense, but internal the internal logic of the world we live in, it makes a lot of sense. Is is that fair? That's that's very fair. I'd say that the world we we live in, you and I, Mike, the world we find ourselves in, doesn't make a lot of sense to me at times. So, in 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 many ways, this film reflects a way that I feel about the logics that we accept as reality around us. I think we take this sort of like supreme fictions of you know, Wall Street and the financial world, uh, mortgage swaps, derivatives, all these things and, you know, about about um, the financial logics of the world we live in that came crashing down in 2008. I, I felt like that was such a fiction I was living in. Like, what, what do you mean all these things exist? And I, I that's the world we live in. I, I thought, why not create a world that kind of took that ethos and turn the knob up a little bit? Absolutely. And it is a world that the gig economy uh, sort of seismic shifts in society that we have been living through going back for me many much much longer than you in terms of the way that the world operates the way that we our job market changes our educational opportunities shift a lot there's sort of the ground beneath us is very unsettled but at the end of the day if you're on top of this and right now um, the uh, the tech world is on top of the world the house always wins. And that's right. the problem. That's the problem, right? We live in a kind of a market casino economy now and the, and the house always wins. And that's I right. think, and that's why I feel like this is such a relevant and it's a beautifully told story. And it's, if you even take any time to think about it, you think about this film, I hope it occurs to you that the house always wins. <laughs> tell me what you, tell me if that sounds right to you. It does, and you know, one of the tricks I think in the casino logic you bring up of of the world is to give the player the sense that they might win. Yeah, and and so I think that was very important in this world we created in Lapsus. You know, these workers have to feel like there is a path to victory for them, and 
in a way, the, there, there are these little robots in the film, these automated carts that compete with the workers, but they're so slow that I think the, the human workers out there think like, oh, if I just work hard, I can beat these automated cabling carts. But, you know, it creeps up on you how the house is slowly winning. And you, all of a sudden, wait a second, these carts don't have to sleep overnight <laughs> and they're working all night. I am a human, I have to sleep. And so you have to, you start having to work more and more to compete with the house. Yeah, no, exactly right. the logic we were working with in the film. Exactly right. Thank you, because I want to do get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of the story here. I, I went through it in our in, in the introduction, but Ray is this, by the way, I've not seen Dean Imperial in anything before this, and he immediately grabbed my attention. I, he's one of those people that I will almost guarantee you, you'll start seeing in a lot of films if, for our listeners. He is just a real... I, I don't know who to compare him to. There's a sort of a Bruce Willis uh, uh, feel to him. Uh, there's a lot of different actors he feels like, but he feels like he's really going to, to be a real player in terms of uh, roles that he's going to be able to command. Yeah, where'd you find him? I mean, how did he come into the project? I wrote this film for him. He's, he's been a friend of mine in New York. He's, a, he's in the Naked Angels playwright community in New York City, if anyone knows that. And he's, he was in one short film about a decade ago. He came to New York... Um, grew up in New Jersey, came to New York wanting to be an actor and sort of didn't, you know, work out and he left it behind. But I always felt like he had this leading man charisma to him. And he, to me, he also had this kind of Gandolfini energy. Yes, yes. In a, in a sense. Yes. And I, I, was so, I was so intrigued by what it would be like to, to put Dean Imperial, the person I knew, in a world that has kind of passed him by. I was, I was thinking very much of like our hero in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy who wakes up and the world has kind of passed him by. There's a bulldozer outside his house. And he, it's, sort, it's sort of like he has to catch up with the technology. Where has he been, sort of? You know, the, this quantum computing has, has come and taken over every element of the world around him. And so Dean, in my mind, was the perfect person for this kind of world uh, to embody this character, the, the character of the role of Ray. And I hope that we start seeing him in more things. I think people will be very uh, captivated by him. He's got a wonderful presence. And I think he he allows you as the audience to settle into his journey. And you're with him the whole time. Yeah, I love the Gandolfini reference. And, and also, yeah, he's a good guy. He means yeah. well. He kind of falls ass backwards into this situation. And um, James McDaniels, who is, uh, we know from NYPD Blue, is the, the police captain, who who sort of disappeared for a long time, at least in my eyes. And then he's been reappearing in these indie films of late, and this is the latest one. And he is, he's got a terrific presence to him as well. And he plays this guy who comes into, who's been in Ray's life, who tells him, hey, I know the card dealer at this casino and he can get you, he can get you a really good deal right. here. I know, That's I know the, the track. Yeah. I know the pit boss. Right. And, and yeah. he, we, we just, yeah. And so, and he comes into his life to tell him about this and he, and Ray doesn't really know what that means. He doesn't really understand the game he's getting into. Talk, talk about that dynamic because I think it's really important. Yeah. It's a good point. So I, I think in, in many ways, this war, this film tries to capture a way in which, much of we are in an era of scams we've come out of a, a you know a real uh era of scams and you know we'll see what the next era holds for us but the the world that we enter in lapsus ray is working and it's not it, it fully explained but i mean i think you get the, the gestalt that he his job in real life out before he starts cabling 
is a bit of a scam. He's working for a shady luggage delivery company that has some sort of racket going on at the airport. And that leads to, you know, he gets the inside track, like you said, from the character of Felix played by James Daniel, who gets him a, a, a medallion for this new realm of the gig economy that's hard to get. And the meritocracy element you bring up is this idea that if you do the, the gig for longer, you get access to better routes. You become a, a higher tier of cabler. But, you know, Ray comes in and because he has this illicit medallion, he's that, that belonged to someone else before him. So he gets this hookup, this inside track. He's He has access to that top tier without having to do all the work to get there like the other cablers do. So he gets confronted by that at some point in the film by another cabler. But I was interested in exploring this idea of the head start that so many people get and they, if they get a head start, often the sort of self uh, rationalizing that they do with themselves is tell themselves that they really worked up through a meritocracy. And I think that the, the merit, the idea that we are living in a meritocracy is a bit of an illusion. There's so many head starts that all of us get as compared to many other people. And I'm, I'm certainly one of those people who got a massive head start in life. And so I was interested in, in the idea of a character who is bought into the, to the sense that he worked his way up and he, he deserves these better routes and he deserves top tier of, of wages, but gets confronted by someone who says, well, wait a second, where'd you get your medallion from? Who gave it to you? All of us are out here slaving away to get to those kinds of routes that you have access to. And um, those two forces in collision were like central to my interest in making this film. I think that's so important. Even his username is is the thing that triggers the other cablers into knowing that that their way he doesn't even know to his I mean say his credit but he didn't know but he but once he's confronted with it, as you said his first reaction is denial and anger just kind of our political sort of our political realm that we live in now denial and anger not not even trying to acknowledge it it's sort of that's where the things are sort of there's obviously there's some political undercurrents in the film. And I think this lack of acknowledgement is kind of the the cancer in our society in terms of our politics, the inability to acknowledge. Absolutely. Then, yeah. Absolutely, yes. so let's talk about this, this hilarious idea of people pulling cable through the, the parklands of New York um, and how this, how it, not only how it looks, but I mean, just the idea of it is really funny. I mean, this is, I just love, this is kind of a Swiftian level of humor in this, uh, right? Uh, there. So uh, how did, <laughs> and plugging in, plugging into this cube. But anyway, where did this inspiration for that come from? It, it doesn't exist in our world. There is no such job as cabling. There was something about it that felt right. And so there's something that resonated with, the kinds of labor that so much of us, so many of us do in the world, the kind of treadmill jobs. And, and I, you know, I, I've spent the last decade as a freelancer doing, making my living editing and doing videographer work and all sorts of things. And I, I know that, that I share that with so many other people who gig to gig and you feel like you're kind of on a treadmill, where's it all going? And there's something about cabling that, that had that ethos, the sense of pulling cable over you know, miles of land and plug and just the end of it, the big triumphant moment is you plunk it on a cube and some mysterious financial logic whizzes around in the system and you, you get paid for that work you just did. And it's sort of like, okay, I'm on to the next thing. 
I'm completely disconnected from the products of my labor. And I'm within this system that is incredibly opaque. March, <laughs> march on to the next one. So I, you know, where cabling came from, I, I was, it's mysterious. I don't know. I, I <laughs> some, some part of it is like, I, I, because I have this huge interest in neuroscience and I have this other documentary coming out about neuroscience I've been working on for so long. I think that part of the world of cabling did have some kind of like, there was some neurological components uh, yeah. on a conceptual level, the rewiring of these routes and plugging in new connections all the time. I think I was, I was maybe starting from a little bit of a, of an imagining of a brain world in real physical space. What would it be like if these people, if workers had to constantly be rewiring this world? <laughs> so that was one element. And then the, the, the absurdity of just cables strewn everywhere. <laughs> The, the ways in which uh, industrial booms, I've also made a couple of documentaries about oil field work in North Dakota, and just seeing the way in which like a rush to activity in the midst of a boom can lead to just a disregard for so many of the sort of side effects of it, you know, strewn equipment everywhere, oil field tanks just empty on, on these beautiful fields and, and um, collateral of debris in many of these, these gold rush type technological booms. That's exactly the words I was going to use. Uh, before I before we get into that, uh, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with uh, Noah Hutton, and he's the director of this remarkable narrative film, sci-fi. I don't even. I'm going to ask you how you characterize the film. The film is called Lapsis, L-A-P-S-I-S. Uh, what would what sort of for the people in our world that love to label, how would you label your film? the group of us who made it like to like to talk about it as taking place in a parallel present but it's not really the future yeah. um it's not our world but it, it feels like I mean, it's kind of retro the aesthetics of it i would say so we've always said parallel present just to help people like to replace this in time it's like a, a sci-fi dramedy I, I don't i don't, i hate the word dramedy but it's a comedy and a drama in yeah. you mentioned that the documentary you come from basically the world of documentary film. How did that impact your vision as a narrative director? What, what, what elements did you bring into this? You know, people like to talk about this idea of, of world building in narrative filmmaking, or especially in sci-fi. That's a term that gets thrown out a lot is, is when you invent a world or something in a, in a you know, narrative film, you have to do world building. And um, I think you have to do world building too in documentary. Um, it's, it's sort of maybe a little easier in a way. You, you, you are capturing, you know, the elements of our, our real world, but in the, edit, in the editing process of documentaries, you have to decide what elements to choose and not to choose in how to build the world of your documentary. What, what world are you setting up for your argument? And so I think on that level, the documentary work that I've done helped me figure out ways in which to, to make this world feel acceptable to the viewer like it as you as you've mentioned it's extremely absurd if you poke at if you think about the world of lapsus the the job the everything about this world is there, there's an absurdity to it but somehow I, I was interested in trying to make it seem like the people in it have have completely accepted it and it's just it's the rote truth of the world they live in i think i was helped by the documentary work i've done because you notice how when you're capturing, you know, verite footage or anything for a documentary, there, there are moments where you feel like you've captured something that is a bead of truth. Yeah. And you know that if you put that bead in your film, 
it'll speak to something larger. And so I, in writing the film, I was thinking of, well, if I was making a documentary about this world, what are some elements I would want to include to help build the reality of it? And I think that on that element, it helped. It's, it's of course very different in so many ways. And the documentary work that I've done, at least, it's very much like a solitary practice. I'm on my own um, a lot of the time. And in, in making Lapsus, it was incredibly collaborative. And it had to be, we were working with a, low, a small budget and we, we needed everyone to buy in and help us create this world and get behind it. So we had an amazing team of you know production designer, costume designer, the producers involved. We, we all worked you know incredibly closely together to, to make it happen. Thank you. Uh, the film is called Lapsus. It, you can go to filmmovement.com to find it as well as the in ways in which you can watch it. There's a virtual cinema link there. You can watch this through. Uh, and uh, it, you really owe it to yourself to check this out. I think we live in a very corrupt world right now. And I think we're so marinated in it, we don't see it. And this film feels like you're really pulling the curtain back in, in so many ways. And I really appreciate it. It's a wonderful film. And congratulations to you, Noah Hutton, for your work here. And Look forward to more. I thank you so very much for, for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for watching the film and for your, for your kind words and for the conversation. It was great. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music